1712, um, Thomas Newcomen invented the steam engine. Um, it was an extraordinary invention. It wasn't until about 50 years later that it began to really kind of step into its own. Uh, that was when James Watt brought some improvements to it that made it commercially viable um, and set the stage for the Industrial Revolution. Um, up until that point in history, progress was made exclusively by muscle power. Okay, so, so your muscle, your horse's muscle, your oxen's muscle, whatever you had, it was muscle power. Uh, but suddenly mechanical power was unleashed and the effect on the world was revolutionary. Um, exponential increase in human activity and productivity. Steam, power. Um, the first pastor that uh, hired me to be his worship pastor uh, was a friend named Justin Dennison. He's retired in Vancouver now. Um, Justin, while we were together, finished his doctor of ministry and his uh, thesis was published. Um, and it was on this idea of steam power, though he completely reinvented the word. Some of you will be, will be familiar with the acronym TEAM. Okay? Together, each achieves more. Well, Justin was creative and he added the S to it. Spiritually, together, each achieves more. Now, if, um, if the Apostle Paul had a motto, it could very easily be that. Uh, the doctoral thesis was kind of unearthing Paul's team approach to ministry. And we've been touching on it, but today we're going to kind of dig right into it because the, the, the extraordinary reality is that the Apostle Paul did, never, never ministered alone. He was always with a team of people who were participating together in the work of the gospel. So, so let me be clear, the gospel is the good news that Jesus has come near and made it possible for humanity to be restored in relationship to Father God. And because of the gospel, this good news, when he returned to the Father having conquered sin and death, he gave us the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to bring us together as the church. And not only that, not only do we have a hope for today, but we have an eternal hope uh, of the resurrection and a glorious eternal existence with God himself. That's good news. That is the gospel in a nutshell. Paul was sharing the good news, but he was not doing it alone. He had a team of people, and people came and joined the team, and they went on and did other things. So evident is this team principle that we could even, if we want to be cheesy, and, I, and you, you know me, I, I can be cheesy, um, the, we could say it this way, that Jesus' work is accomplished through steam power. Spiritually, together, each achieves more. Uh, maybe a longer way of saying it would be this. Um, you are being encouraged to take your sense of joy from seeing God working in and through the people around you in and through the church. Paul, Paul's been encouraging us to rejoice, uh, to take joy in, and, and what he's encouraging us to do is to look to Jesus at work in one another. So this morning, we're, I want to remind you of Paul's ministry situation. I think it's important to set this up. And then, then I want to introduce you to at least some of Paul's ministry team. And, and then we wanna, we're going to kind of conclude by talking about the work of Jesus in them, through them, and in us, and through us. The, the situation, the team, 
the work that results. So Lord Jesus, kind of continue to draw near to us and, and attune our hearts and our minds, Holy Spirit, to hear what you have to say to your church this morning. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let me read Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you're looking up digitally, I'm in the New International Version. It will be on the screen. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through verse 30. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, he says this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy. He's proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. He's referring to his incarceration and pending trial. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother. So in other words, Epaphroditus is going to precede Timothy in going. Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. lost my place. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ." He, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. May he help us understand it, apply it. So the situation, the team, and then the work that results. So first, uh, Paul's ministry situation. If, you're, uh, if you have sermon notes, this would be a good point time, good opportunity to download them from their website or to uh, grab them on the church app. Follow along or take some notes yourself. Uh, we're trusting the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us this morning, and so we want to be stewards of what he would say to us. Um, one of the mo many reasons uh, to take, so take a few notes. Paul's ministry situation. At the time of writing this letter to the church in Philippi, uh, Paul was in jail. Uh, he tells us that, Philippians chapter 1, verse 13. He alludes to it a couple of other times in the letter. Uh, he'd been telling people about Jesus how they could be restored to the Father through the work of the Son, that the Holy Spirit would come and indwell them, and together they would be the hands and feet of Jesus, the body of Christ, and they would serve Christ. And their hope was beyond this world. They had the hope of the resurrection, and they would spend eternity with God in his glory. Now, if we're right, and this imprisonment is his imprisonment in Rome. That's the one that makes the most sense to me as I read through the Scriptures. Uh, when Paul, uh, if, if this is one in Rome, that Paul's been in jail for well over two years. This has been a long incarceration. Um, ten months has felt like an eternity. Uh, he's been in jail. He's been locked down two years. Um, I've got a map here of, um, of Paul's second ministry, uh, missionary journey. Um, and on his second missionary journey, Paul, Silas, and Timothy went across the Aegean Sea 
um, and founded the church in Philippi. It's kind of up to the top of this map um, near the word Macedonia. If you look carefully under the word Thrace, you can see Philippi. They went across the Aegean Sea to set up this, uh, this church. Uh, they'd, uh, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia, that's the province there, calling them to come over. Uh, they, they were obedient. They believed it was God speaking to them. They were obedient. They went across. And indeed, he, he didn't even find a synagogue large enough to have a cohort of Jewish men to create a synagogue. Um, the women were meeting by the river, worshiping there, some God-fearing Jewish women. Um, he shared the gospel with them, and that was the beginnings of the church in Philippi. Uh, Lydia was one of those women, um, a wealthy entrepreneur, had a house large enough that she could host the church, uh, and they began gathering in Lydia's home. Uh, then uh, 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 the jailer, doing a riot in Philippi, uh, the jailer who'd been holding Paul and Silas, um, he uh, confessed Christ and his whole family. They became part of the church in Philippi. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 16. That was the second missionary journey. Paul had, did another missionary journey, kind of visiting these churches again, including a stop in Philippi. And then he returned to Jerusalem with a significant financial gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Judea had been in a severe famine that had lasted several years. And the church was feeling the, the, the ache of that, the pain of that. And, and so Paul took up a collection from all these churches uh, that he'd helped start around the Mediterranean, brought a significant financial gift back to Jerusalem and gave it to the church there so that they could care for the needs of those who were feeling the strains of, uh, of, this, of this famine. The church in Jerusalem was huge. Uh, it, it had grown and predominantly it was made up of people who were Jewish who recognized that Jesus was their Messiah. And so one of the enormous challenges for the early church, the first few decades of the church, was bound up in this question. Do Gentile followers of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, need to become Jewish in order to follow him rightly? They really wrestled with that. After Paul's first missionary journey, when all kinds of people who were Gentiles, non-Jews, were confessing Jesus, were finding their hope in Jesus, came back to Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15, uh, they engaged in this question together to say, well, what are we supposed to do about this? The, the apostles and the elders of the church in Jerusalem gathered, you can read about it in Acts 15, and they decided, the Holy Spirit led them to the conclusion that no, the Gentile believers only need to abstain from food polluted by idols, to abstain from sexual immorality, uh, from meat of strangled animals and from the consumption of blood. So, and they make it clear this wasn't to save them. This was actually kind of a give because those Gentile followers of Jesus might actually be the ones who were going to share the hope of Jesus with Jewish uh, people. And they didn't want any unnecessary obstacles, any unnecessary divisions to exist, exist uh, when that testimony concerning Jesus uh, would happen. Third missionary journey through Philippi, back to Jerusalem with this financial gift, comes into Jerusalem, and, and when Paul goes into the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 21, Dr. Luke tells us this. Some Jews from the province of Asia, kind of up more or less where he's been traveling and sharing Christ, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple 
They stirred up a whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled his holy place. This holy place. A bunch of lies there, but um, Paul was rescued from the ensuing riot. Uh, That's one of at least three times uh, that that Paul finds himself caught in the middle of a violent uprising. Uh, He's rescued out of the riot by the Roman guard. Uh, They try to figure out what's going on, and they realize that there's some radical Jews who are resolved that they're going to murder Paul. So the Roman guard decides that they will take Paul out of Jerusalem back to the Mediterranean coast to a place called Caesarea by the Sea. Beautiful place, actually, if you weren't in a Roman jail. (laughs) Um, And and there uh, Paul sits and seems to kind of rot in jail for at least two years. Um, Let me read it for you. Uh, Acts chapter 24, verse 27. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, uh, Porcius Pig, uh, sorry, Porcius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. You imagine, you've been in jail for two years, uh, unjustly accused, um, held with no trial, and then, and then because some politician wants to gain some political brownie points, he's going to use you as a pawn. I mean, if ever we had a, a, a right to be angry, surely Paul had that right to say, doggone it, this is wrong. And yet that's not Paul's attitude. It's not how he viewed this at all. He told us about it in the beginning of the letter that he writes to the church in Philippi, chapter 1, verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. I mean, it was an extraordinary experience when he was still in Caesarea Philippi. Because Paul was in prison there, Caesarea by the sea, I apologize, he was, because he was in prison there, he, he was able to preach to this governor, Felix, and his wife, Drusilla. Acts 24. And, and then when the reign of powers was transferred from, uh, from Felix to Festus, Paul was able to share the hope of Jesus with Festus. These are significant rulers in that part of the world. And then Festus was kind of intrigued, and King Agrippa, who's kind of over the entire region, happened to be in the, happened to be in the area, and, and so they brought Paul before King Agrippa and his wife Bernice, and he shared the gospel with them and a whole crowd of other people that seemed to be present. Paul says, what's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Now, Paul recognized that the Jewish leaders who were in the area were, were interfering in such a significant way, there was no way he was going to get a fair trial there. So he does what he's done before a couple of times. He leans on the advantage that he has as a citizen of Rome, and he appeals to Caesar. I'll get a fair trial before Caesar, or at least a better shot of it than here. And this actually leads us to the conclusion of the book of Acts. You get to Acts chapter 27, the close of the book. Paul is in Rome, and he's awaiting trial before before Caesar. And he's writing letters in his spare time. He's making good use of of his lockdown. We've been reading this letter, and it's one of the letters that probably was written in that window of Paul's life. I mean, what a ride, right? 
Like this is not, this is not, you know, when you graduate seminary, how they say, you know, church ministry is supposed to go. Um, But this is Paul's story, but it's not just Paul's story. This is the story of Paul and his team. Because he's always ministering with other people. So, So this is his ministry situation, but let me tell you a little bit about Paul's ministry team. Silas and Timothy um, were with Paul on that first, uh, second missionary trip when they went to Philippi and started the church in Philippi, uh, ultimately settling in Lydia's home. Uh, Timothy was also with Paul on his third missionary journey when he went to Philippi again. So if it seems like the Philippians are supposed to be familiar with Timothy, that's why. He's been there at least twice. And then Paul would send out members of his ministry team to check on the other churches. Go, Go and check on Thessalonica. Go check in on on Colossae. Uh, Make sure that they're doing okay. Give them some coaching and some instruction. Go down to Ephesus if you would. He couldn't be everywhere, so he'd send his team out, and they would come and go. We don't know for sure what happened with Timothy after uh, Paul made his way back to Jerusalem. He's just not referenced in the text. Was he with them? Was he not? But we know for sure that Dr. Luke booked passage on the very same ship that the Roman centurion Julius booked in order to transport Paul and the other prisoners that were going to Rome. Because Luke says, we. Let me read it for you. Acts chapter 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy. This, that's, that's a fun little exercise if you're ever reading through the book of Acts. Watch for the word we. It indicates that the author is present on the journey. Like He's not just telling you about what happened. He was there to experience it himself. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium. Say that one three times fast. From Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. And we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. Aristarchus, we know that name. Uh, He shows up a couple of times on the pages of Scripture as one of Paul's ministry companions. So Dr. Luke and Aristarchus, at least, are with Paul on this voyage as he goes with this Roman centurion back to Rome. Now, this also means that they together endured with Paul like a terrifying portion of this journey. They, they, they set out, and they hadn't been uh, sailing toward Rome very long, uh, when what, what Luke describes as a nor'eastern hurricane came across the Mediterranean and drove their ship with 269 people aboard, drove it for two weeks, 14 days. Can you imagine? Up and down on the waves. Uh, Luke tells us that it was so bad they'd basically given up hope. They, they expected they were going to die at sea. Uh, no one was eating anything. All they could do was drink a bit of water and, and hope. And then Paul and his companions, of course, pray. They're praying. The Lord had already told Paul that he was going to stand trial before Caesar and bring witness to Caesar. Apparently not enough leaders in the Roman world had yet heard about Jesus. Caesar himself was going to hear about Jesus. Day and night, pounding of the waves, they're praying. And then an angel appeared to Paul and confirmed that word of the Lord to Paul. You're going to survive. In fact, I'm going to give you the lives of everybody on the boat. Paul got up and he told this to everyone there. He said, take courage. We need to have a little bit of food. We haven't eaten anything for 14 days. Uh, Let's get 
strength, renew your strength. And indeed, the next day, they crash-landed on a beach in Malta. Uh, all 276 or 279 uh, survived. And 276, they survived. And they made their way to, they made their way to Rome. And that's where we come to the writing of this letter of Philippi. And Paul, in the portion that we just read, he's celebrating these team members, these people who are together with him, who have endured such things, who have partnered with him for the sake of the gospel. Uh, listen to the words that he says, chapter two, Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with a father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So, so, so Paul says, look, he, he shows genuine concern for the welfare of the churches that we've been started, uh, that we've started. That he's proved himself like a son apprenticing under his father. Paul, Paul sometimes is criticized um, particularly in, by contemporary, some contemporary scholars. Uh, pe people read his words of correction found in uh, many of his letters, and, and they perceive Paul to be harsh, to, to be autocratic. Um, and yet when Paul brings correction, it's born out of love. And we, we see it perhaps more clearly than anything uh, in, in this letter that he writes to the church in Philippi. Uh, the letter opens uh, and it closes with Paul expressing his love for uh, this church uh, th that has cared for him and he cares for them. Chapter 1, he says, he longs for them all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, the final chapter, opens with him saying, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for. And then we hear these descriptions of these co-ministers, these co-laborers. The, the relationship that is being shared in the church, the early church, is one of, it's one of intimacy, it's one of profound respect for one another, caring for one another. They're involved in one another's lives. They love one another. And they're being changed together because of the character of these relationships. These men uh, that, that Paul is ministering with. They, they've met Jesus. Uh, God, the Holy Spirit, has, has come, and, and he's now living in them, and he's changing them, men, women, the church, all together. And toward the end of chapter 4, uh, it tells us that Paul thinks the church in Philippi, um, uh, thanks the church in Philippi for the generous financial gift that they've sent. The reality of being in jail for two plus years, I mean, any Roman prison was that you were responsible to take care of all your own financial needs. And so if your friends and family, or you didn't have deep pockets yourself, your friends and family didn't take care of you, you were at risk of literally rotting in jail. Uh, the church has been gathering around and the financial assistance that was sent uh, to them uh, came by the hands of a guy named Epaphroditus. He was one of the guys who delivered it. Almost certainly they delivered it together in a team but it seems he got sick, perhaps partway en route, sent word back to those at home that he was sick. Pray for us. The mission is in jeopardy. I assume. That's me reading a little bit of, into Scripture. Pray for them. Let me read what Paul says in the letter to Philippi as he's sending Epaphroditus back. He's going to be the one carrying the letter that goes back to his church family in Philippi. Paul writes... But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, 
co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Like sorrow upon sorrow. This is Paul describing, like that would have been a sorrow, but it's on top of the griefs and the sorrows he was already carrying. I think we read, we sometimes read Paul as he says, rejoice. I say it again, rejoice. Uh, You know, he makes these, these comments that sound so happy, and we kind of we falsely assume that Paul just skipped from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop and didn't have to go through the valleys. Like we imagine that his heartbeat didn't elevate when a riot forms in Philippi, Ephesus, uh, Jerusalem. We, we, we assume that he didn't vomit from seasickness after sometime in two weeks of being bobbed around like a cork in the Mediterranean in the middle of a a hurricane. We we might even be tempted to imagine that it didn't break Paul's heart when one of his co-workers abandoned him. Or or, or they abandoned the mission. Or, Or they even abandoned Jesus himself. It happened multiple times over Paul's ministry life. But do you see what Paul's doing here in the letter? Paul's been living out his own words. He's been modeling his own instruction to the church. We, we read it a couple of weeks ago, Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. He wrote in chapter 2, verse 5, he said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And Paul can say this, and the church believes him when he says it. They receive it as the authoritative word of God to them because he was living it out. As far as it depended on Paul, He was living in a loving relationship with those who had confessed Jesus and together they were growing that they would become more like Jesus. He can call Epaphroditus a fellow soldier because they have genuinely been through hell and back together. It's not just hyperbole. Their ministry calling was really, really difficult. So so what about us? Are, Are we in this thing together? Our ministry calling is, is nowhere near as difficult as, there was, as theirs was. But, but are, are we in this together? And I know that, that, that for many of you, the answer is an absolute yes. For others, I also know that you've maybe been beaten up. You're feeling tired. Life has just been difficult. Everybody's experienced it these last 10 months. Maybe it's even longer than that. And you've needed to sit out for a while, to catch your breath, to heal. But maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to jump in again. We're we're brothers and sisters. We are are co-workers, fellow soldiers, for the good news about Jesus. 
we together will be those that Paul describes in chapter 2, verse 12, when he says we're, we're going to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. His, his good purpose. His good purpose. Jesus' work is accomplished through steam power. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Spiritually, together, each achieves more. This, this is the only way the church of Jesus Christ will prevail, friends. And what an amazing team we get to serve with. There's nobody that I'd rather be blown across the Mediterranean with than you for 10 months. Uh, Pastor Tim and the team are going to come and, and, and prepare to lead us in worship. What an amazing team they are, right? What, they're going to they're lead us in, in worship together, uh, using their talents and their abilities. And, and what they're doing here is just kind of the tip of the iceberg of the, with all the preparation they put into the, the course of any given week. And Tim's several portfolios that he manages for us, he's making this connection with us here possible just through his diligent digging into the technology. Thank you. What a great team. Pastor Craig has been, oh my goodness, he's, he's just got this beautiful, calm, patient, persistent way of navigating uh, the world and change. And man, for Kids Zone and, and, and youth ministry and, and life groups, it's been change after change, after adjustment after adjustment, trying to call people together and help us all row in the same direction. What an amazing team. Dave Vandermeer is back there running sound. Dave's the chairman of our board of elders. And, and I tell you, it's a, it's a great team to serve Jesus with. Um, uh, Bill's often leading worship, and, and Mark, and Rolf, and, and Corey, um, just giving ourselves together that we would pursue Jesus. And, and then our life group leaders, and our children's ministry leaders, and our youth ministry leaders, and, and, and across the scope of the church, just people who want to serve Jesus. They want to usher, they want to host uh, the lobby, uh, they want to be helping us improve our connection here uh, while we're doing this in this virtual reality, I say, wow, we're in this for the long term. We're going to be doing live ch online church, as far as I can see, into the future, uh, together with in-person church. Maybe it's time for you to participate in some of this. Uh, maybe you've had to sit out for a season. Maybe, maybe the th there's a window now. Maybe this is a time of equipping. It's, it's a time to read up, to study, to prepare uh, while things are unsettled with COVID. What we're planning to uh, launch our next Alpha course uh, just after Easter, uh, Thursday, April 8th. Uh, as far as we know, it'll be online exclusively. I don't know, maybe things will open up and we can do it in person too. I don't know, we're, we're trusting Jesus. Who, who are you going to bring? Like now is the time to start praying for the unbelievers around you, those that need Jesus who are around you. Pray, ask God to open the door, open the, the conversation, and, and maybe online has never been easier. Dial in with me. Let's, let's, let's investigate Jesus through the Alpha Course together. Uh, maybe it's time to, to assist. We need table leaders, uh, virtual table leaders who would help us host. Um, we're, we're still figuring out how to do the online version of this, but God has been good in the past, the one that we ran last fall, last spring. Paul's been modeling what it means 
to, to, to follow Jesus. So we, we, we understand the situation and the team that he had and the work that God was doing. Don't you want to live life like this? Like life with purpose, the purpose of Jesus as, as the, the north star that we're heading toward. Live for Jesus, live life in such a way as, as that, that we would be commended by one another to the Lord. She is someone who loves Jesus. He is someone whose humility is, is beautifully demonstrating the kind of humility that Jesus demonstrates. They, they have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be clung to. They were a church that served others. Another other focus, selfless ambition. They weren't trying to make a name for themselves or anything like that. They just want people to meet Jesus. See how beautiful he is? Turn to him and be saved. 